Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. If you got your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 18. I'm doing a series that will end next week on the life of Moses, liberator, lawgiver, and leader. And uh, so got a couple of passages I'm going to read from. So we've started with Moses' life uh, from the time that he was pulled out of the, uh, the Nile River. We followed him through the plagues. We followed him uh, through the Passover, through uh, the, the, uh, the Red Sea. We saw just a couple of weeks ago uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the golden calf, and some other things that are in Moses' life. So this morning, I just want to back up. Uh, It's a little out of sequence today, but there's a hidden chapter in Exodus chapter 18 that gets overshadowed with all of the big events that are going on in the life of Moses. So I'm doing a little out of sequence today, but I want to give a little attention to Exodus chapter 18 because I think it's an important Uh, I think it's an important passage. So Moses, uh, when when he is traveling and they're they're in the the wilderness with all the Hebrews, he sends his family, his wife and his two sons, to go live with his father-in-law in in Midian. All right, so they've gone, you know, for months and months. So his his father-in-law's name is Jethro. So Jethro messages Moses and says, hey, I'm going to, Bring your family back uh, for a visit. So Jethro takes Moses' wife, the two sons, and they go to the wilderness to visit Moses. He's probably had enough of the grandchildren on the weekend, and he wants to take them back. As wonderful as grandchildren are, there's a time that they need to go back to their parents. Amen? If you were very honest, it would be much louder than that. All right, so, uh, so they're taking them back, and, and when, when, he, when he gets back, Moses and Jethro, they kind of go in a tent, and they, they debrief. And Moses is telling Jethro all that God has done, all the hardships, all the miracles. And, and Jethro and Moses, they do something I think is kind of cool. They the father-in-law and the son-in-law, they go have this time of worship together. They go offer some sacrifices of just thanksgiving to God. And here's the father-in-law and the the son-in-law, and they're just in in worship uh, together. And then they go go have a good meal together. So, you know, I I just, just for a moment, I just think that that's a very, very cool. A lot of times we look at in-laws and we have, you know, like, Jokes, or we have, you know, opinions on what, you know, in-laws, you know, uh, are, are to us, you know. But they had a really healthy relationship. They were close to each other. It was kind of a mentor. Jethro kind of had a mentor kind of, you know, relationship with Moses. Jethro is the, Jethro's called the priest of Midian. 
So he's a very spiritual man as well, and Moses is receiving that. So I'm just, I'm just saying it's not really a part of my message this morning, but, you know, the, the in-laws can really be, you can really be close to them. They can be part of your uh, family and just part of your heart as well. One of the godliest women that I know was my mother-in-law. She loved her family. She loved the Lord. She loved the local church. And she went to a church that wasn't spirit-filled. But I secretly think she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what I think. I mean, God was just moving in her life. And she was always just telling me about her church. She was a praying woman. And I want you to look at the fruit of her prayers for her daughter. Your laughter is very painful to me. I was hoping for worship to go all over the building. But, but, but he has this very healthy relationship with his in-laws. So they see each other on the first night in Exodus 18 and verse 13. They, start the, they, start, they get up the next day and they start their, their routine. So I want to read this. It said, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge of the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to see me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So they get up the next day. Moses, you know, goes in the middle of the people and they're bringing him these things. And Jethro's watching from a distance. He's observing, he's observing what is going on in his uh, in Moses' life. So he's just kind of, you know, separate from you know, from the intensity of the moment, and he's giving an analytical eye of what he's witnessing. And here's what he says to Moses. Here are some of Jethro's observations. He says, what you're doing is not good. He's got some concerns about this. What you're doing is not good. It's not good practically. The process that you're using is not good. It's not healthy. It's not good for you emotionally. It's not good for you physically. He said, what you're doing is not good. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you, you will only wear yourselves out. So he says, it's not good for you, but it's not good for the people as well. Because they're all standing in line all day trying to get these disputes taken care of. And probably at the end of the day, you're tired. You're giving quick responses. You're not thorough in your thinking. So actually, you're not serving the people well with this particular, you know, this particular setup here. He says, the work is too heavy for you. Can I just remind you of something? Uh, even when you're doing God's work in God's service, it does not exempt you from the natural laws of rest, balance, 
Sabbath, nutrition, mental and emotional health. He said the work's too heavy for you. This is not sustainable for you in any way. And he says you cannot handle it alone. Now, sometimes we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear it. We always think if I just work a little harder, get up a little earlier, have a little greater effort, then I can accomplish this. But there is a capacity that we have. And, and Jethro is witnessing, uh, Jethro is witnessing this. You just cannot do this alone. Okay? So let me just give you a thought here. Let me just give you a thought just to, to think through this. All right? With Moses, maybe. It was sacrificial service to the cause or maybe a psychological need to control, all right? Maybe it was, it was it, you know, he had this benevolent heart. But, you know, some people, they want to control everything. They want to be in charge of everything. I want my hand on everything. I need to be needed. I want to be in the middle of everything. So... Did Moses find himself in a difficult leadership situation or do we see signs of a controlling personality? All right? Just, just thinking through this for a moment. So like, here are some controlling personality traits. Ready? Controlling leadership comes from controlling personality. People treat the organization and its performance as an extension of their individual life. So there's this unhealthy connection sometimes between the personal life and the vocational life. And people take what they're doing professionally and vocationally and it becomes an extension of themselves. Their identity is, is uh, now wrapped up in what they are doing so they must have their hand on everything, every idea, and, and have some sense of control in every part. So that's one thing. Uh, controlling personality trait. It can easily develop into being a workaholic, all right? There's no boundaries for anyone vocationally and professionally because it's connected to my identity, all right? Now this is about me, so I will pay any price. There's no boundaries anywhere, and you can develop some very unhealthy work habits uh, when, when a controlling personality trait takes over. Also, con controlling personality traits, they are known for outbursts of anger. Because there's such a close connection between the, the personal and the vocational, people get frustrated when they cannot control every part of what's going on in their life and they, they, they have uh, outbursts of anger, which we're going to see in Moses' life next week. They get frustrated when they cannot, you know, control the outcome of everything that they are working on, okay? So if this is you, I want you to know this will absolutely just drive you crazy. It will burn you out and eventually You'll just have a nervous breakdown. It affects your professional relationships. Nobody likes you, all right? Nobody likes you. 
but you're the boss, so they have to tolerate you, but really nobody, nobody likes you. It, perfect, it, it affects your professional relationships, but it also affects your personal relationships as well because people in your family, they see you as distant, all right? Uncaring, aloof. Your body may be at home, but your mind is somewhere else. They get a sense in the family that the family is secondary to whatever the vocation is. They grow up always feeling in the shadow of, of, of uh, your, your professional career. So I'm not saying that you know, was uh, uh, for sure a, a part of Moses' life, but it is something to think about. Was this something that was just emerging at the moment or were there just some controlling traits that he had? So Jethro gives those observations to him and then he gives him some advice. Here's what he says. Listen to me now. I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men, uh, select from, all, from men, from capable men, from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy, men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for all the people at all times. Have them bring every difficult case to you, but the simple cases they can decide for themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and, and, so, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied, okay? Very wise leadership lessons from Moses. Now, part of this series that was interesting to me was his growth as a leader. So here are some things just from what Jethro said that I think we can learn from this particular passage Great leaders are not born, but develop and grow into a better leader, okay? You're just not born with an excellent skill set when it comes to leadership. He said to Moses, Moses, you're going to have to change. What you used to do is not, you know, is not what you're doing now, and now you're going to have to change, grow, and adapt, okay? He said that to Moses. Listen, listen to me. God, can, God can't give you anything else to do for him until you master what he's already put in your hands right now, all right? So we, we've got all these things we want to do for the Lord. And like with Moses, he's handling these things, but he's doing them in an unhealthy way. And there's, you know, there, and we do, do the same thing. Sometimes we're, you know, we've got great visions, we've got great dreams, but what we're doing right now, we're doing it in an unhealthy manner. And until we learn to handle that in a better way, there won't be anything else. There won't be anything else. So you got to realize the need in your life, areas that you have to grow and stretch, even when you're unsure of what it is. All right? In my 
first pastorate in Kentucky, all right, I thought the key to successful church was preaching a good sermon and having great spirit-filled services. I thought that was the sum total of my responsibilities, okay? Except I kept having these conversations with the lady that led the nursery and the people that were in charge of kids' church. They always needed money. They wanted to go somewhere. They needed curriculum. They, they had a calendar. They needed people who were trained, and we had to have some rotation on that. I didn't want to be bothered with that. I wanted to focus on, you know, preaching and spiritual services, okay? I also had a, an older building that needed, we had payments, it needed maintenance, it always had to be clean, so I felt like all of my attention sometimes is drawn away from preaching and the services over to nursery and children's church, and now, you know, now this, this particular uh, this particular building. I also had staff, so Man, we had to have, you know, policies and, you know, treat them fairly and, um, you know, a handbook for them. There were meetings that they needed. But it was, this was really taking me away from what I, I felt like God was calling me, you know, to preach and have great services. And then, man, there was the money issue. There were budgets. There were payrolls. There were bills that needed to be paid I was the pastor at the church, but the state of Kentucky recognized me as the president of a 501c3 corporation, and there were responsibilities with that, and, and it, it felt so distracting to me to have to pay attention to these other things when I really, my focus was, was on those services, but it, it just came to me, the light bulb came on to me one day, this is not going away, this over here. They are going to always need diapers in the nursery. Always. They're always going to need curriculum. So I just, I said, you know, this is a moment that I've got to change my perspective here. And I've got to realize that the, the scope of my responsibilities have grown. So my skill set has to change. I need to learn these things. I need to realize this is part of what I do, and if I focus and I excel with proficiency on leadership and administration of these things, it will, and it will in actuality make the other thing you know flow much better. Uh, but also, like if you've got disorder in kids' church and you've got disorder in your nursery, it will take away what you're trying to do. So there was a period of time that I realized I've got to become a better leader. I've got to, I got to really kind of wrap my head around the other parts of the church and embrace myself in church, and uh, uh, immerse myself in church finance and staffing and all the other things. That, that I can do. So it was a moment to me that I didn't really like, but it was a moment of adaptation because if you don't learn in the ministry, if you don't learn how to handle all the administrative and organizational tasks, it will affect what you do on Sunday morning. So I want to say to some of you, man, it's time to change and grow. You can't, Moses was stumbling here. What he was trying to do wasn't, he wasn't doing it in a healthy manner. So there are, Great leaders aren't born, they grow, you know, and ad adapt to the, uh, the situation that they have. So that's one thing 
Jethro said, another thing, don't be distracted from your main purpose. Give time and attention to your main priorities. He brought him back into focus. He said, Moses, your main, your main priority is to teach these people God's word, to, to lead them, to lead them through the wilderness. But what was Moses doing? Every day he was spending all day, every day being the judge. He had these other things that emerged, but it was taking him away from the main thing that God had called him to do. Jethro said, hey, this is, this is out of balance. It's out of proportion for your life. you got to do something so that you can follow with, 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 with your time the main things that God has called you to do. He said this as well. Recognize your limits. Learn to say no or to delegate task or responsibility, okay? So if you continue like you are, Moses, this will be a disaster. But here's a chance for you to delegate this. Now, when we come to a point of capacity in our life, we got two decisions. One is just to say, no, I can't do any more. I can't add anything to my plate. I can't spin any more plates. I don't have any extra. I don't have any extra time. So that's one thing that we have to do sometimes is say no. And then the other part is just delegate it. You know, if it's of that importance, find other people and help you along. And here's the de delegation involves, according to Jethro, selection, training, and empowerment. So he said, find some capable men. Tell them what you want to do and then empower them to go do, you know, to do what you've asked them. Now, if you've, if you've done any kind of leadership reading, you know, you may think delegation came from Cousy and Posner and John Maxwell, but you realize it came from the old father-in-law, Jethro, the, 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 the priest of Midian, Man, he's spitting out some leadership principles that people have made millions of dollars off of copying them. So he said, delegate it. Delegate it. All right? Now, verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So let me ask you this question. Are you open to the observations and advice of others? Are you open to the observation and advice of others? Because a lot of times when people come and they want to share some insight in our life, we're going in our mind, well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Your life is in disorder. Where, where, where's your life perfect that you can come speak in my life? You know, we get a little offended sometimes when people want to make an observation or, or give advice. Jethro had a fresh perspective. He's watching what Moses is doing from a distance. He's not emotionally connected to what is going on day to day. So he's, he's got a little distance and he offers a fresh perspective to Moses. And I just want to say Jethro's counsel probably just saved Moses. His counsel of, hey, you got to do some things different. you got to reorder some things in your life. I want to tell you this morning, there are times that, that some of the, the, those voices of Jethro and the counsel of others, they are God trying to speak to you. And we don't even listen to it. Sometimes people have godly wisdom and godly insight 
And we get a little offended with it when we need to listen to it and, and process it just a little bit. Sometimes it's the voice of the Lord trying to speak, you know, trying to speak to us. People come and they've, they've had an observation or they have a thought and we reject it from the beginning. But sometimes it's God trying to speak and give guidance to. Now let me say this to you. If you are Jethro and you have an observation and some advice for someone else, because that happens from, from time to time, all right? When you share it, do it humbly. Do it humbly. Share what you need to share and then back up and let them process it, okay? If you keep trying to drive it, make it happen, they won't receive it. Share that word and back off. And you just and if that's God or if they're open to that, that seed will take, you know, that seed will take in their lives. So I just want to say, be open to the counsel of others because you never know that maybe God's voice and a key that you need to reorder some things in your life. Okay? So that, that's Exodus 18. Now it's when we're going through Exodus, this this study is about the book of Moses, not Exodus, because the latter part of Exodus. Man, it's, it's about the building of the tabernacle. Now, I could go the whole chapter on the curtains in the tabernacle this morning, okay? But I'm not going to do that. So we're going we're gonna to kind of finish up with Exodus because this is about Moses. We're not going to go through Leviticus, okay, even though it's a wonderful read, okay? All right? You, I'll let you do that on that, your own, or one day I'll do a series. I'm never going to do a series on Leviticus. Let me just say that. <laughs> never never going to do it. I might write a one-page blog, and that, that'll be it. So we're going to go Numbers in, in Deuteronomy, okay? So I'm, I'm moving you to Numbers chapter 12, because I think there's something significant in Moses' life that we, can, that, that we can learn from today. So they're in the wilderness. It's been months, maybe a year or so. Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite, a woman like from Egypt. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoke through us? And the Lord heard this. Verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, <clears throat> more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I love verse 3 because Moses is the author of Numbers. He's just reminding the world of his humility. I love that. I love that. <clears throat> so the question after we read this passage of Scripture, how do you handle personal criticism? How do you handle personal criticism? And I'm sure at some point in your life you've been through this. You've gone through betrayal hurt, you've experienced gossip, they've talked about, you know, you're, they've misrepresented your actions and they've misunderstood your, your motives. <clears throat> and gossip and betrayal are worse when it comes from those who are close to you, okay? In this case with Moses, it's two of the people that he is closest to in the world, family and a colleague, all right? First of all, it's his sister, his sister Miriam, 
is saying these things. Remember the last time we saw Miriam in the story after the Red Sea when she grabbed the tambourine and she, she led in worship? Remember that? And then the next time we see her, she's gossiping and speaking against her brother. Can I just remind everyone, that's not a picture that we want to see from our lives. We don't want to see bitter water and sweet water flowing from the same mouth as James says. So here she is, and man, <clears throat> the, the very sister of Moses, she is, she's talking about him. And then there's Aaron. No one closer in the world ministerially and, and professionally. God you know, God, uh, Moses asked for help and God sent Aaron and they were working together and Aaron was, Moses was telling Aaron things and Aaron was, was saying it publicly. And now, man, two, two people that he is most close to are talking about them and it's, and it's personal. Number one, they're talking about his wife. Man, that's, that's personal. That's close to the heart. They didn't like it because her race was a little different and her skin color was a little darker than them. So they just, they kept talking about, you know, his, his family choice. And then, they, and then they were reminding, hey, listen, is, you know, is, who does he think he is? Does he think he's the only one that God speaks to? I mean, God, God speaks to us as well. They're questioning his ministerial in integrity and his, and his leadership. So man, that's some very painful charges coming from people who were very, very close to him. But I want to remind you sometimes about your critics and those, thing, those people that say things about you. Sometimes it's just absolute jealousy over your life. All right. Sometimes their criticism is just rooted in jealousy, and you just need to keep that in mind. So, listen, this kind of stuff happens. You know, gossip, betrayal, even the word betrayal means that it's somebody that's close, that it's more personal. This is not, this is just not a, a comment from a stranger on social media. It's somebody that's close. They've, they've betrayed you because of their emotional proximity to you. But this will happen sometimes. People are always going to say things about what you do. Amen? People are always going to have an opinion on things that you do. It might be, you know, your new life in Christ and you're trying to walk it out and you've got some critics from your old life or family members that, that don't understand, you know, what you do. So they're going to be saying some things. Some of you might have a, 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 a new ministry vision or something that you want to do for God. And man, you're walking, a lot, you're walking in that and all of a sudden you hear the, the arrows of the critics that are, are coming to you about what you're doing. Or maybe you're in ministry leadership or maybe you're just trying something new in your life and you hear the voice of the critics that, that, are, that are speaking to you or speaking into your life. Now listen, listen. It's just part of life, isn't it? I hate it. I hate it. But it just happens. So when it happens, here's, here's some results, you know, of gossip and betrayal, discouragement and hurt. Wow, man, really? Really? You know, James says that the tongue 
is like a fire. How many of you ever been burned by the tongue? Somebody, man, just, just, and you, and you, and you get discouraged. You start questioning, like, man, what's, what's going on? Why is this, you know, why is this happening? You get discouraged. You get hurt. Or you experience, or can, in addition, mission and vision paralysis. So when we get the first uh, word of criticism, we stop what we're doing. We stop. What, what's, what's going on? You know what? <clears throat> I'm just going to lay low. I'm just going to stop and evaluate why is this coming? You know, why is this coming my way? But I just want to say, you know, if you're going to allow your whole life the critics to control what you do, you'll always come up short, okay? Are we going to give the critics veto power of what we want to do with our life and what we feel like God has called us to do? So when we get criticism, if we always stop, we are allowing them to control and manipulate what we do, all right? If God's called you, if you're moving in a direction that the Lord has sent you, then you can expect criticism and you can expect people not to understand. And sometimes that is not a time to pause, but it's a time to keep going. We cannot allow the critics in our life to control the speed and, and what we're doing and where we're going in our life. And there's also revenge. We get angry. We get upset you know back then I mean they lived in a different time it was you know it was eye for an eye tooth for a tooth back then if you didn't like it man you went and settled you went and settled the score so revenge if they got if they got angry revenge was you know was just was just part of what they were doing but can I say I just want to talk about getting even and and revenge Taking revenge on your enemy makes you even with him, okay? I should have said them, but most of the time it is a him, okay? So it, it just, it makes, you, it makes you even. So as we're trying to, to serve God, when we, when we lower ourselves to revenge, we lower ourselves to, you know, to their, to their particular level, all right? Revenge never gives closure to the heart, only the satisfaction of revenge. So if you've been hurt, revenge never heals. It never heals. It never, you know, the wound never goes, you know, it never goes away. But sometimes it is only satis we get satisfaction from the revenge. And that's, you know, that's not what the, the Lord taught. And then revenge, it wastes time and energy, okay? It wastes time when I'm, when I'm planning and scheming because sometimes these things get up in our head. These people get in our head, okay? What they've done gets in our head and now we're planning and scheming all the time. What can happen? How can we, you know, how can we get even? And you waste a lot of time and energy on revenge. Now listen, what they said about Moses, that was hurtful. That was awful. They're talking about his wife, questioning his leadership. And these people were very close to him. But here's what happened. So the Lord said to Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to get Aram, uh, Miriam and Aram. 
Miriam and Aaron, and the three of you, I want you to come stand before me. So Moses goes, Aaron, Miriam, I want you to come. We have a meeting with the Lord. Don't you know? That made them a little nervous. All right? So they come for their meeting with the Lord, and the Lord stands before them, and then he says, Miriam and Aram, I want you to step forward. That's bad news, isn't it? That's bad news. And they step forward, and here's what the Lord, here's what happens in this moment. He says, listen to my words. When there was a prophet among you, I, the Lord, revealed myself to them in visions, and I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees from the Lord. He sees the form of the Lord. All right? I'm not just giving a vision to Moses. I'm speaking to him directly. All right? Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. That's bad news when the Lord's angry. And and then verse 10, when the cloud lifted from the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. So he puts a judgment on, on Miriam because of what she did. I want to tell you, gossip and betrayal and speaking about people You may think that you get away with it, but I'm telling you, you are planting seeds that one day will come back to a bitter fruit in your life if God doesn't judge it anyway, okay? So so now, man, she's standing there. She's standing there with with leprosy, all right? So here's here's Moses. He's hurt. He's hurt. It's got to It's got to hurt. And he sees Miriam standing there with leprosy. Can I just say to you this morning, forgiveness is a choice to no longer hold a sin or transgression against the offender and not to seek any form of revenge or retribution. Okay? Moses got a choice in that moment. And Moses says in verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord, please God, Heal her. Wow. Wow. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. In, that, in the middle of his hurt, the betrayal that he felt, now she's got leprosy, and his first prayer is for God to heal. I would have prayed that prayer, but I would have phrased it this way. Lord, over the next six months or so, let there be a gradual healing in her life so that her character may be formed and that she would understand not how she's hurt me, but you. Okay? All right? Listen, he's hurt and he's angry, but he chooses to forgive. I want to read that again. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice, an intentional choice that people make not to to no longer hold on to a sin or a transgressor or transgression from the offender and not to seek any form of revenge or retribution. He could have just walked away and said, well, big sister, 
<laughs> God bless you. God bless you. You know? But he didn't. His first prayer was for healing because even though he was hurt, please get this, even though he's hurt, he, he released and, and asked God to heal and he forgave her. This is not original with me, but today's unforgiveness will become tomorrow's bitterness. What you carry around is poison on the inside of you. Unforgiveness is poison on, on the inside of you. And when you forgive, it releases that poison so that it doesn't affect you anymore. All right? Forgiveness says we're going to let God handle this and we're moving on. Okay? I'm going to let all the justice, all the injustice of what happened, the unfairness that happened to me, I'm going to let that be between them and the Lord. <clears throat> and I am no longer going to walk in unforgiveness. It's not going to dominate my mind. It's not going to dominate my heart. I'm going to move on from this and let God handle it. All right? If you feel like you've been treated unfairly, the Lord will work that out. The Lord will take care of that in this life or the life to come. He'll take care of that. But we just release it and just we're going to let God handle this and we're going to move on with our life. I think that's a, that is a, a great example, you know, for, for us to follow. It's Memorial Day and I just want to close with this, this illustration. Ernie Zamperini, if you've ever seen the movie Unbroken, okay, unbelievable story, unbelievable movie if you haven't you know, if you haven't uh, seen that. So Ernie, he grows up in a, in, a, in a Christian home, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't follow really, you know, what he's supposed to do. And he gets all kinds of trouble with his dad and, you know, just didn't have a really good relationship at home. But he was raised, he was raised in church. He was, he was noticed, you know, that he was very fast. So, man, uh, he started running track in high school, and man, he found himself on the 1936 Olympics team, and in uh, in Berlin, Germany. And man, he finished eighth. He was he was you know uh, uh, applauded here in the United States for his you know for his uh, uh, speed and being being an Olympian. Well, not long after that, he's drafted into the army. He finds himself in the Pacific Theater, and he is, part of his task is search and recovery when these boats or planes would be shot down. The planes would go, and they're trying to find and locate the, uh, you know, people who are in the water. So while he's doing that one day, he's on the plane. Man, he, he gets shot down. His plane gets shot down. And he finds himself in the water, okay? And man, it was all over because he was, it was all over the news because he was, you know, well known that he had come up missing. And he and two other guys were in a raft with very few rations for 46 days, okay? Uh, very little water. One man just kind of lost his mind and died. And he and, and another friend in, that, in, the, in the heat of the Pacific you know, trying to live 46 days in a raft. Finally, they see a boat approaching. They're so thankful for their rescue, but it's a Japanese boat. They get, they get Ernie, and they, they, they put him in a, 
a, a prisoner of war camp worship team, you guys can come. And if he thought the last 46 days were bad, what was about to happen was even worse. The physical abuse, he had uh, the, uh, the uh, commander of the POW camp was called Bird, and he was very brutal to Ernie. Picked him out amongst all other people, and almost daily there was physical abuse, and he left scars all over him. Man, there was no food. You know, one day... He had, he had irritated birds so bad that he lined Ernie up and made all of his POW friends, 51 of them, come and punch him in the face. You know, it was awful. It was a brutal existence. He grew with this hatred toward bird and the Japanese and, and, and this, just this physical abuse. He had this deep in his heart. He comes out of the military He's an alcoholic. His marriage breaks up. And there was a night that somebody invited him to a Billy Graham crusade. And for a long time, he hadn't heard the gospel message. You know, he'd just been divorced from that. There was so much bitterness and anger and hate in his heart because of what he had been through. But it was that night, it was that night that he was reminded about forgiveness. And he realized that the worst sin like was his own sin against God. So that night, he bows his knee at a Billy Graham concert, or a Billy Graham uh, crusade, and he gives his heart to Christ. But as he's going on in his life, he's realizing he's got this bitterness, he's got this unforgiveness not just against the Japanese, but against the man called Bird because he had been so personally cruel to him. He would, he would be the one that would personally call Ernie out and personally beat him. And he, he started this journey of learning to forgive, learning to forgive. So I want to say to you, when I talk about forgiveness this morning, sometimes... Forgiveness is a process of grace working in our heart. It's not a one-time kind of thing. Sometimes depending on the emotional proximity, how close they were to us, sometimes the, the hurt and the pain is deep. And sometimes it is a process. It is a process. It takes time. It takes prayer. It's continually asking God to heal and forgive. So he realized he's got this unforgiveness toward this man in Japan. A few years later, he gets on a plane and he goes to Japan. He wants to go personally talk to Bird and tell him that he, that he forgives him, okay? Because let me just tell you, forgiveness is a work of God's grace. See, I can't understand that. But that's where God's grace comes in to Forgiveness. He goes to Japan. He locates Bird, and Bird won't meet with him. Bird won't meet with him. You know. So there's sometimes in forgiveness that we can reconcile and forgive each other and move on. And there are times that the relationship and the the offense is still out there. Okay. It's great when two people come together and go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's hug and let's move on. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes it's unresolved. 
Sometimes the person doesn't want to forgive. They won't forgive. It's easier when you hear, please forgive me. But sometimes we got to learn to walk in forgiveness even when it's an unresolved situation. He writes a letter to Bird's family. He leaves it with them and he comes back home. But at that moment, he's a free man. He's a free man because he's forgiven, okay? His pathway to forgiveness started with his own, his own relationship with God, realizing that he had not extended a grace that God had extended to him. If God can forgive us, then we should forgive others. And it started in that Billy Graham crusade. And, and I want to just recommend the book, the movie. It's just, it's wonderful to kind of get the, the, the full part of his life. So I just want to, I want to say to you this morning, if you're here and you've never been forgiven of your sins, okay? All right? That same, same forgiveness extends to you. You know, God just, he just wants to hear it. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. And that's, that's all the Lord needs to hear. And man, there can be restoration of that relationship. Or some of you, you've got maybe some long-held kind of some issues. Man, you hear one person's name, and man, you feel the internal temperature rise. You think of one situation, and man, it just makes you mad, even though it's been years since it's happened. There may need to be a moment of God's grace that's working in your life. Moses immediately, amongst people that had hurt him, said, Lord, heal her. He, he, had, he had forgiven and moved on. So if you're here today, and man, there's something, man, you're just struggling with some things. Forgiveness doesn't mean that God won't judge them. Forgiveness, when you forgive, it doesn't mean that there wasn't any wrong that's done. There wasn't any sin, but it just means I'm going to let God handle this and I'm moving on with my life. This mental anchor, this darkness that comes over me, I'm walking out of that. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in the grace of forgiveness and I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to move on with my life. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us of every sin. And Lord, I just pray today, I pray today for those that may have deep pains, hurts, they've been carrying around maybe some for years. I pray for the grace of forgiveness, the seed of of the grace of forgiveness, the process of extending grace and forgiving, Lord, what happened? Hey, and if that's you this morning, maybe just a, a, a whispered prayer that would say something like this, Lord, in my own, I cannot release and forgive, but if you will give me grace, if you'll help me, I'll do it. And that's the perfect partnership. Just pray that prayer this morning. Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. But Lord, if you'll give me, if you'll give me grace, if you'll give me the grace, I'll release and let go and never look back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for a, a forgiving grace as you've forgiven us, Lord, a forgiving grace that would be on this house this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.